Welcome to Sarian Strategic Partners Podcast, a podcast focused on pre-transaction planning strategies and commentary for founders, entrepreneurs, and executives. Our team's mission is to help ensure that you obtain the maximum net value from your life's work. We work with you to develop pre-transaction planning strategies to help position you for personal financial success by identifying key tax, estate, and gifting issues prior to a sale or exit of your company. I'm your host, Greg Sarian, CEO and founder of Sarian Strategic Partners. Well, we appreciate the opportunity uh, to present another podcast, videocast on the topic today of really the importance of pre-transaction planning or exit planning. Why is it so key to a successful outcome? So today, uh, I'm going to speak about what are some really important personal considerations that an entrepreneur and executive should consider well before a transaction that can make a great deal of difference uh, at the closing table. And then joining me is Sarah Jamshidi. She is the President Managing Partner of SpeedShift Advisors. And Sarah is going to speak about the importance at the entity level of taking a step back and putting a thoughtful pre-transaction plan in place. So before I introduce Sarah and she speaks, I want to just give you some, some background on her. Um, she's been an exit planning advisor and investment banker for almost 20 years and helped more than 200 companies through the process of exiting, planning through, and succession planning as they approach a transaction. Sarah's also spoken on, on this topic to the U.S. Senate and has raised more than $25 million uh, of venture capital for portfolio companies. So, Sarah, thank you so much uh, for taking some time out of your day to speak on a topic that I know you're very passionate about. Thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure being here. So, Sarah, you've, again, shepherded a number of founders, executives, um, over 200 through transactions. What are some of the bigger concerns that you hear? What do you hear for that they're really trying to accomplish? Is it all liquidity-driven? Well, actually, Greg, no. Um, what is interesting is that when we start talking to some of our clients or prospects, the number one thing that actually comes up is growth. Uh, everybody is very interested in continuing to grow their companies, you know, and and you know continue that pattern if they have been successful or find ways to accelerate their growth. Okay. But what we what we also mentioned is that you want to grow in a direction that you continue to enhance the value of your company because one day you you want to essentially exit that in in many ways whether it's you want to pass it on to your employees or your children or you want to ultimately sell or go public right and so so growth is very important but it is important to have direction for that growth and and so that's what we talk about and and what we believe is that an exit plan can help you sort of figure out what direction to grow, what levers of growth to sort of uh, move to be able to enhance the value of the company in that direction, right? Growth is, you know, very much like going on a trip saying, you know, I want to go from here to California. That is the ultimate goal. But there's many ways to get there and at various speeds, right? And, and, and so... We, we talk about is that exit plan kind of helps with that. 
And, and so you got to grow with an exit in mind. So it really sort of backs into, all right, well, you got to have an exit. So I know when we were preparing for this discussion today, Sarah, you mentioned it's important to get that plan in place well in advance of the transaction. Maybe speak to that. Why is having that plan well in advance of the outcome so important throughout that process you described? Yeah. So actually, Greg, what is interesting and somewhat a little sad is that the majority of companies actually don't have an exit plan. I think there was a survey that was done that said 67% of lower middle market companies don't have an exit plan. Um, I do know a lot of venture-backed companies would have that, but the majority of business owners and companies don't have that. We think that that's very important um, to have that early on you know, I would go and say, you know, from the beginning, have that plan. Where do you ultimately want to take the company? It's very important to have that plan early in the in the process. Now, there are a number of reasons to, to have that exit plan. One is on a company side, on a business side, as we just talked about a minute ago, it really provides a lens um, to sort of look at your company and look at various aspects of it and really prepare the company for that eventual exit. It is going to help you to, as you are trying to make a strategic plan and strategic decisions, as you continue to grow your company with every step, you have that end goal in mind that you can see if this is helping you or or not. For example, it would help you to figure out what kind of customers you should pursue what sort of mix of customers you should have in your pool. So when you are trying to chart your future plans for the company, you can have that in mind. You can figure out what kind of people to hire, what kind of credentials should they have, because they can help you achieve that goal. Now, if you don't have that goal, it's going to make it very hard to figure out who the right person for that is going to be, right? It's going to help you what kind of contracts you should pursue um, if it's appropriate for your business. And so it really provides a lens to try to figure out, okay, ultimately I wanna get to this mountain peak. All right, well, here's my strategy to get there. And these are the things that I need in order to get there. So it really helps you on a company perspective to be able to do that. I also think that exit plan, when you combine it with financial planning, it really helps to sort of combine your personal goals and make sure they gel with your business goals and and go together. And so I know we're going to talk about that, Greg. I think that's very important to have that financial plan in place and make sure that it's kind of harmonious with your exit plan. The timelines kind of gel and various other things that we're going to get into in a minute. Um, But it really brings the two pieces together, whereas absent that, it's just going to be one dimension. So Makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. You you opened your last segment by saying, Sarah, that that the majority of business owners really don't have a plan. What are some of the the bad outcomes that you've seen? What are some of the costs that have been paid at the entity level not for not having that plan in place? Well, I mean, before talking, and I'll share an example on that. I think the best way to to do it. But uh, Greg, here's another statistics which I think is. It's also what, uh, you know, it's our mission to change. And that is only 7% of business owners are actually happy 12 months post a transaction or transition of their business. Um, And, you know, 7%, that is a very low number. And often that has nothing to do necessarily with the amount of money that they made. 
So there's a lot of factors that goes into that, but one of which is essentially having a plan, an exit plan, and a personal plan, right? So, you know, we do see, unfortunately, sometimes where, you know, clients come to us not having gone through the process, have, have kind of like jumped through the, the execution of a deal, if you will, um, and having not going through the various exercises that you would go through for an exit plan. And we have seen some, uh, you know, not so optimal outcomes, if you will. Um, one case that comes to mind um, uh, actually is a business owner that, you know, he spent many years building his company. I mean, he built like many business owners, uh, he poured his heart and soul into the company. Um, and the business was very much uh, had his imprint on every single aspect of the business, which, I mean, I think is great in, in an ideal world. But what it didn't do is um, it didn't prepare him for a transition. And, and so it didn't have, you know, the majority of the customer relationships were with him. He was responsible for the majority of the sale, the execution and offering of the services. I mean, he did have staff, but he didn't really have that sort of secondary management layer to help him with that. So what ended up happening, Greg, is that, you know, as time goes by and years go by, he unfortunately ended up having health, you know, issues. And, and so now he, he realized that he wanted to sell his business, but he didn't have some things in place that take time. You know, you don't just go and install a you know, second layer management team as you're trying to prepare for an exit, right? And so because he didn't have some of those things in place, you know, he really struggled to try to sell his business. And, and, and so, you know, he almost became, you know, there's also a statistic about how many M&A deals are successful. And again, there's a lot of things that goes into that. I mean, there's statistics out there that say 50% of them are successful. Again, I mean, that's like flipping a coin. I mean, that's not, those are not good statistics, but he, he struggled for a long time to try to sell his business. And ultimately he did, but he sold it at a much, much lower valuation than he could have had if, if he actually planned and put some things in place well in advance. Because um, you can't really do those things. There's a lot of the things that you cannot do at a transaction table, you know? What about the flip side? Uh, obviously, you know, Sarah, with your counsel, you've probably seen some really good outcomes and probably brought some additional incremental value at the closing table because these uh, founders and, and executives spent the time. What are some of the positive outcomes that you've seen for those who embrace uh, a pre-transaction planning process? Sure. So we're trying to change the negative ones, one company and one business owner at a time. And then, but we love to share the, the, the positive stories because they're out there too. And so this one, one of the, our clients comes to mind where um, three partners, they started a business and they were, um, predominance of them were serial entrepreneurs. So this wasn't their first business. They learned a lot of lessons upon their first exit, right? And so they wanted to do everything right, come to this, this, exit, this company that they were starting from scratch. So from early on, they put an exit plan in place. And they basically set a goal for themselves. And they said, you know, in time, in about five years, we want to sort of entertain an exit. If we hit certain metrics, right? If we get to this particular revenue, our company kind of looks like this and what have you. So, so they had an exit plan, you know, which we helped. And then when the time came for an exit, come five years, actually, it's interesting. Uh, the timeline actually gelled very well. So around five, 
five years, they were actually ripe for that exit. And so they wanted to go to market and see what they um, could get for the company. But because they had done all the right things, they had built the infrastructure in the company, they had already sort of thought about an exit and sort of reverse engineered into multiple aspects of their business. When we went, we took them to market, you know, we were able to get top dollar for the company. Um, and, and so all the founders, you know, exited, they were super happy and, and we have become friends as part of the process, you know, because once you're in the trenches with someone like you, uh, you know, you are with your clients, you know, you, they become friends. Uh, and, and so uh, years later, they're still very happy and I'm happy to report he's on to his third company now. <laughs> and so he told me, he's like, Sarah, I think I have one more company in me. So he, he's working on that now. So he enjoyed that uh, exit, which we helped him um, and um, very happy with that. So that planning, Greg, really paid dividends. Um, and, and so that, that worked out for him. The other quick example I would share is a much smaller company um, uh, you know, um, and, and so what they did was they actually realized that they need to figure out what their exit options are. And one of their options was they wanted to figure out if they could transfer the company or sell the company to one of their key employees. And so we started working with them on their exit plan. And our goal was to help them, you know, realize what are the pros and cons of multiple exit options. There, it's not a, you know, sort of a binary thing. There are seven exit options you can sort of look at. And every single one has pluses and minuses, right? And so, so we help them evaluate those things. And once we finish the exit planning you know, um, process and put a plan in place, it was actually interesting, Greg. I mean, they had an unsolicited uh, sort of interest from a buyer who knocked on their door and said, hey, we really are interested in you and would like to buy you. Now, that was very helpful because they had already knew okay, we know what our company is worth because they have gone through the valuation um, process. And so they knew kind of what they were worth. They knew what the process is all about. They knew the pluses and minuses of it. And they had prepped the company a little bit for that. So when this unsolicited sort of knock on the door came, it was actually a positive thing and it allowed them to go smoothly through the process. And so those are the two sort of examples that come to mind and then all of them they exited nicely and they're enjoying them. Great. So before I touch upon the, the benefits of having a personal pre-transaction plan, any final words for, for the founders or executives there at the entity level that, that you think are important? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's many things, but one thing I would say, which seems very simple, but um, it, it kind of is not, it can have profound impact. And that is know your end game. Um, and what I mean by that is at a company level is ultimately figure out what you want to do with the company. If you want to ultimately sell it, who do you think you want to sell it to? And what, do you, what are they looking at? And years before an exit, start monitoring the kind of companies they're buying uh, and what the characteristics of those companies are. And, and so that helps you sort of really shape your company towards those exits. And in the process, not only you're running a better company, but also you're positioning it for the ultimate growth, right? And, and, and so you're growing in that direction where you are enhancing the value. And then when time comes for liquidity, then you can actually demand higher sort of valuation because you have those things in place. So know your end game 
um, in terms of that. I mean, we knew, Greg, talk about some, some you know, entrepreneurs planning that to high level of detail. Um, you know, one of our clients, serial entrepreneurs, so having been benefited from going through uh, multiple exits, um, I think three, you know, in his next company, he was looking down at the CRM level saying, my buyers use this particular CRM, so I'm going to use it to track my customers and everything. So post-transaction integration is going to be simple, like to that level of detail. Um, so, so having that end game in place, I think would be helpful. And Greg, one other thing I would offer is that for the entrepreneurs who uh, want to see, you know, sort of do a litmus test, a quick one to see how ready they are. I mean, we have an exit readiness assessment, which is a quick, you know, five to 10 minute online complimentary thing that they can walk through. It takes less than, you know, probably six minutes. They can answer a bunch of questions. And then what we can tell them at a very high level is how ready their business is for an exit and give them a score on that and walk them through what is it that they can do to sort of enhance the value as they move through an exit. And that one, you know, they can reach out to you and, um, and you can share the link with them. Great, thank you, Sarah. So can I ask you some questions now? Sure, sure. Yeah, so we, you know, Greg, one of the first things that we do when we work with our companies and our clients is that we ask them, do they have a financial advisor? as we are trying to get the company ready to go through the M&A process, you know, we don't touch the personal financial side, but our goal as bankers is to maximize the value and maximize the liquidity for our clients. Now we like to make sure that at the end of the day, they hold on to most of that, right? And so, you know, we encourage them to work with their financial advisors. And one of the key things that we sometimes find it, they haven't paid too much attention to is basically tax issues. And so from your experience, what are some of those tax issues that some of the founders can really plan for ahead of time and not really at a transaction table that really set them up for success? No, it's a great question. And, and Sarah, it's interesting as you were talking about the process of helping the company address where it's maybe gaps and shortfalls are, we think it's really important too. For the founder of an executive or executive who's got an equity component of a company that's going to transact, to have a similar thoughtful process, uh, very, very important. And one of the biggest issues we often see overlooked is understanding the eroding impact of taxes. So for the majority of sellers, some may have some component of equity and stock options, but for the majority, it's taxable as long-term capital gains. And in Pennsylvania, where most of our clients are, that federal and state and that can be upwards of 27, 28%. And they, they don't realize that that's going to really come off the top. And what they're left with is, is the net. So there are several things that, that can be done, uh, again, in advance to really mitigate or try to minimize that tax burden. The first thing is if they're part of, we normally see this in sort of the startup world, the VC, PE back world, but if their equity is subject to a vesting schedule, there's something called an 83B election where they can, in the IRS's eyes, uh, when they're granted their equity, they can actually acquire it. And oftentimes, there's zero cost because there's zero value. But from the IRS's lens, that gets the clock ticking for long-term capital gain treatment. So if the entity is acquired before their equity fully vests, 
all that equity is taxed as a long-term capital gain rather than ordinary income, and that could be a meaningful savings uh, to them. Another tax planning strategy that works really well, Sarah, is we find that a lot of these founders and executives are oftentimes caring for adult loved ones. Maybe they're helping um, adult children with grad school or weddings or down payments on homes, or maybe they're helping a, a sibling or a parent. And, and if they're intending to use some of their sale proceeds to provide financial assistance, as opposed to writing a check post-close, they should consider moving some of the shares of the entity into this lower tax bracket recipient's name because they can then achieve some lower capital gain taxes or marginal, of course. The rate starts at zero, depending upon the level of income, and goes all the way up to 23.8. So there could be a much more tax-efficient transfer of wealth if they're ultimately going to help this loved one uh, anyway. And then we, we lastly, Sarah, really educate the executive and entrepreneur who also has a philanthropic drive. Uh, a lot of the work we do is in the life sciences space, and these, these founders and executives are passionate about saving lives and curing people and changing outcomes, so they're often donating to organizations that have similar beliefs. And so using something like a donor-advised fund where they can accelerate a charitable deduction in the year of an event or funding some of their entity, using some of their entity to fund what's called a charitable remainder trust, which would allow then the, the exit to occur, some in a tax-protected environment, and then that money would ultimately go to charities they care about. But here's the important thing, reduces their tax liability at the time of transactions. So those are just a few, uh, if we can get some time in advance, understand what they're trying to accomplish, those are a few of the strategies that we can bring to their attention. That's very helpful. And again, it emphasizes the fact that you should work on those items well in advance of a transaction and not on the eve of a transaction. They can't take place 24 hours before. Now, what about, um, Greg, some gift, uh, gifting and trust strategies that they should consider um, before an exit? Right. This is so timely to talk about now, Sarah, because the new administration, we believe, is going to be making a number of tax law changes. Uh, and so we could see meaningful changes in income tax rates, capital gain rates, but especially on the wealth transfer or estate tax rates. So those, those currently in 21, 2021 are 11.7 million per spouse or over $23 million as a married couple. If, if the administration does nothing, these go back to $5 million each or $10 million for a married couple at the end of 2025. So if a, if a founder, entrepreneur, executive thinks that the, the growing of their business and the selling of their company is going to ultimately bring them above that 5 or $10 million threshold, they should really be thinking today about strategies to, to get some of the growth out of their estate. And so one way to do that is using some of their exemption outright. I mentioned the credit's $11.7 million now, Sarah, so they could actually take some of that make an outright gift to a loved one if they know that's where the, some of the intended proceeds are going to go, because it is our understanding that when the credit drops from 11.7 to five, they're still gonna be grandfathered at that $5 million. So they kind of have a buffer of that extra money to give away, that can be done in an outright gift. We've also had a lot of success using grantor retained annuity trusts and spousal lifetime access trust or grats or slats. This is a great tool, Sarah, because the, the executive, the founder, 
can put some shares into an entity that is growing outside of their estate, but they still retain some of the income from that for their living expenses. But then ultimately that becomes a trust for loved ones uh, down the road. And so it's a great way to remove some of the appreciation, some of the growth out of their estate before a transaction to keep them under those certain thresholds. And then another one that's very popular is what's called a dynasty trust. Dynasty trust is for a founder to move some of the shares into a trust that just in perpetuity will be providing funds for education for their children, for grandchildren, for great-grandchildren, all out of their estate for wealth transfer and estate tax purposes. Yeah, that's very helpful. And again, more of a reason to do this up front. Now, Greg, I mentioned when we work with our clients, we, we help them try to figure out what their business is worth. Um, evaluation or at least a range of value for their companies and sort of a look in the market in terms of what the valuations are and what are the companies transacting at what multiples to get a sense for what their business is worth. And I understand you do an equivalent thing on the personal side, helping the executives or the entrepreneurs know what their sort of number should be. Can you talk about that, um, how you help them with that and how that how important that is in sort of a grand scheme of things, uh, even affect their, their exit? No, it's great. You mentioned you have a, a web-based tool. We have a similar tool that we call our pre-transaction readiness assessment. And what that does, so it really helps the founder and entrepreneur know what is my number, right? So, so I think oftentimes, because this is their this is like their baby when they when they build this business they they found this company and they grow it towards a sale or an IPO and yet many times it's worth more in their eyes than it may be worth in the marketplace we see that all the time yeah one of the biggest mistakes i see is you know, these founders and executives may be very very bright and skilled at their field but they don't really understand the eroding effects of longevity risk and inflation risk and so if, if the founder's goal is to be financially dependent at age 60, and maybe they're going to spend $200,000 a year to do that, but they're going to live to age 95, they may be spending over four, $450,000 a year for the same standard of living that 200 buys them today at age 60. So in this readiness assessment tool, we use um, Monte Carlo or probability analysis forecasting to help them look at multiple outcomes. So based on working with, with professionals like you, as we get a sense of you know, what their valuations are, what their EBITDA is, what's a very good outcome they could experience, what's a mediocre outcome if things don't go as well. And, and you and I, unfortunately, have seen a lot of deals fall apart in the, in the ninth inning. And what if there's no outcome? What if something happens to them or the business or the industry, or the economy, and there's no close? So we think it's really important that a founder executive with, a, with an equity stake look at multiple scenarios of what an outcome could be then back into, is this the right number? Can I afford to do this? Or do I need to continue to grow this entity and move it to a larger number so that my future plans are in fact bulletproof? Exactly, exactly. That's what we focus on, that delta um, between what the business is capable of offering and what their personal number is and how do we, how do we change that? So, um, so Greg, what are some of the other sort of ancillary planning issues that the entrepreneur should should consider as part of this process. Yeah, no, it's great. So I guess one of the biggest mistakes I see when they go through on a personal level, the whole process of growing a business 
and then and then monetizing it or or, or monetizing the equity stake of a company they were they were part of that for many many years was just illiquid on paper it had this wealth out there but there was no dollars in an account is is mistakes around insurance planning Sarah so as fiduciaries we guide and advise clients on how much and what type of insurance but we sell no product so what i often see is a great need while an asset is illiquid and an entrepreneur or founder is building a company growing a company yes if they if they have dependents they need life insurance uh, and they may need different types of life insurance based on their situation. They need long-term disability to protect that income, which is so vital to grow the company. And so, but when they monetize, you know, they become very liquid and now they, their need for life insurance as a risk mitigation tool really changes. Maybe life insurance should be viewed more as an estate plan and your wealth transfer tool. And if they are financially dependent, then they no longer need long-term disability because their asset base is generating income for them. But, but they often overlook the need to raise their liability insurance because when their asset was illiquid, it was covered by the protection of a, of a corporation or a partnership, but now it's in their own name. And so Umbrella really sits on top of their homeowners to protect a layer of, layer of protection against litigious activity. So that's probably the biggest change that they need to think about is really reevaluating, reassessing their insurance needs as it what's adequate, what's appropriate, and what's cost effective. That's that's perfect. And that's why it's important when we work with our clients on a sale process or when we're tra- taking a company um, to market, we make sure that we work very closely with their financial advisors and our clients are working closely with their financial advisors to make sure they put these items in place or have already done that and make sure that things are all in the right place. So very helpful. Well, Sarah, thank you for your time today. And thank you for those who are taking time out of their day to listen or watch this presentation. We hope you found some value in it. Uh, any questions, Sarah, or I would happy be happy to answer them. Thank you again for your time. Absolutely. It was a pleasure, Greg. Sarah and Strategic Partners is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Sarian Strategic Partners and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims, and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Sarian Strategic Partners and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.